Good morning, Maple Grove. Hey, who was happy to hear the alarm go off this morning? Not me. That thing went off, and I go, you got to be kidding me, right? You know, and it, 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 was a, it was a struggle this morning, you know, and so I know there's a message God has, so everybody lean in in this room and at home, because as you got, some of you guys know, I have this issue, I have fourth nerve um, palsy in my, in my left eye, and, and uh, the whole time doing my quiet time reading my Bible, you know, I had to close one eye and able to see because I had double vision going on like all morning, right? It was very frustrating. And I, I just know that's the enemy, right? Trying to mess with me because God has something he wants for us today. Because the reality is, you know, on, on Sunday morning, you always hear a message wherever you go, this church or another church, and, and, and you can apply that to your life and it can make a difference. Well, if what we talk about today, if you and I apply this to our lives in a very real way and live it out, it, it means that somebody right now who, who stands condemned under God, who is destined for hell, will be saved, right? So it, that's like a really big deal, right? That's like why we're here. So I encourage you to lean in. And I, I want to start off with some words that uh, Mark records in the first chapter of his gospel, beginning at verse 16. As he was passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them and they left their nets. They left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired man and followed after him. Uh, Jesus said that if they would follow him, that he would make them fish for what? Fish for, for people. So he, he hears, you know, so following Jesus equals fishing for people, right? Therefore, if you are not fishing for people, that means you're what? You're not following Jesus, right? Right, right? Because Jesus said, right, and, and, and here, I got a picture, I, I found an image on, right? thing that offended me about this, the title for it, it said, an old guy having fishing gear. And I'm thinking, he don't look that old, right? So I found that very offensive, right? This is not an old guy, but it's an old guy with fishing stuff, right? And, and, and the reason I show that, like, it, like, he's all geared up and ready to go, right? But if he never actually went out and fished, would you say this guy's a fisherman? No. And see, we can get all geared up and ready to go, but if we don't actually go out and fish for people, then we are not following Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Uh, God, I just pray that each of us right now individually will examine our own hearts and minds, that we'll hear what you want to say to us individually, even myself as I speak these words, may I hear them? Because Lord, you made it so plain that when we chase after you and we follow you, that we will fish for people. It's just the way that it is. And God, I pray that, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just move in a supernatural way in our hearts and minds that what happens in this room, what happens at, with those who are watching at home online, that it makes a difference, that what happens in here and in, in their homes right now will make a difference in the lives of people who need you so desperately, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this series called This Is... And the, the, my intent, my goal, the purpose, the aim, the objective of the series is for us to uh, hit reset in, in regards to who we are and what we're called to be. We're to hit reset. 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 
got a button here. We said, we said, we said, we said. <laughs> all right, that was fun for me, and that's okay. Sometimes it's all about me. Just remember that, all right? And, and so it was in order to hit reset. And, and I said, we need to hit, we hit reset. I said, this is me, and, and what I'm about as a pastor of a church, I, I'm the preach Christ, depend on Christ, and to take you to Christ, reset. And I said, reset, this is you, that, that, that your life here is limited, that your time is running out, right? With every tick of the clock, you have less time left. Your dash on your tombstone is getting smaller and smaller. You are a mist that is already starting to disappear. And so you best get busy doing what God wants you to do, or you may never wind up doing it. Reset. And I said, reset, this is him, you know? God's love for you is a love that is for you, that's beyond reason, that delights in you, that pays attention to you. It's a love that pursues you. God pursues you with his love so that he does not have to pour out on you his wrath. This is us, vision. We are all about connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We're all about following Christ in, in life-changing community. Life change, life change, life change. That's the vision of our church. Reset. This is us, mission. We are to seek the lost. Like Jesus, we seek the lost. Understand, like Jesus, we are called to seek intently in order to find those who are in a place where they will be destroyed, killed, abolished, ruined, and rendered useless so that Jesus can heal and make them whole, rescuing them from the judgment and the wrath of God. And here's the deal, as we, we talked about last week, that in order to fulfill your mission, one of the things you need to do is you need to fix your focus on your one job. And we have one job as Christ followers, Right? To seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And, and here's a couple more. You only had one job pictures because I think they're fun, right? You only had one job. I don't know if that's prophecy or not. You only had one job uh, made in China, all right? Uh, something's wrong there. You had one job, okay? I don't think they did so good on that one job. You only had one job. <laughs> Alignment shop. I don't think I'm going to that place, right? You only had one job. Uh, don't be happy, worry, all right? You know, I think some of us wear that shirt, right? Um, you only had one job. Okay, who did that, right? Like, that is, is it, I, I don't even understand that one at all. And, of course, you always need one of these when you do it, right? That's not going to work, right? And, and, and uh, I, I just want to hear confess publicly that I, I, I do a very bad job of putting the toilet lid down, right? And I've gotten worse recently, and I just want to confess that here, you know, because that's, that's bad news, right? Guys, put the seat down, right? That'll, that'll help your wife out a lot, because it's not good to sit down when the seat's not down, right? That was free, right? You didn't? Okay, you have one job, and that job is to seek and to save the lost. And, and, to, and to fix our focus, one of the ways we do that is by submitting to his commands, Submitting to his command. We get rid of that toilet picture. <laughs> Submitting to his commands, right? Uh, and, and, and Matthew 28, we're to go and make disciples. Acts 1 verse 8, we're to be his witnesses. And, and, and 2 Corinthians 5, we are called his ambassadors. And, and God is making his appeal through lost people to be restored to his favor through us. And, 
And, and see, all these commands right here in regards to our mission require contact with the lost, right? We're not just to talk about this in this room, but, you know, to go implies contact. To be as witness implies contact. And be an ambassador, right? An ambassador, does, does an ambassador live in his own country? No, right? He, he lives in another country, and he's in that country representing the king or the leader of that country, right? Or to submit to his commands. And, and, and this is a command of Jesus for us to do that. And, and Jesus said that if we love him, well, what? We'll obey his commands. John said in 1 John 2, 4 that if we say that we love God and we don't do what he says, you know what he says? That we're a liar, 1 John 2, 4, and the truth is not in us. So we need to submit to his commands. That'll help us keep our focus. We need to, we need to see the reward. We need to see the reward. You know, the, the reward, and this is that picture again of, of that um, rescue mission in, in Chile. Um, and that's Super Mario. And someone let me know that this is actually the president of Chile right there hugging him after he got rescued, right? Well, we got to see the reward of someone being rescued, of their life being changed, of them being a, a different person. See the reward of us being able to play a part in that, in that rescue. And you see, seeing the reward of our mission is what enables us to endure in our mission, right? Because it, it can get hard. It can get difficult. And we may want to throw in the towel. We may want to give up. But we don't because we see the reward of someone's life being changed. And then we said that to fix our focus, we need to say a, a simple prayer every day. Lord, please give me one person to share your love with today. Amen. It's to pray for one prayer. I won't ask for hands to be raised, but did you pray that prayer any this week? Yeah, you know, I've been praying it, and you know, yesterday at 5.30, I went to walk my dog around the lake. She got up early, and it was dark, and I saw a flashlight coming my way. It was one of my neighbors. We talked briefly, and I'd seen him the other day walking the dog, and I hadn't seen him walking his dog the same time recently, and I'm going like, oh, oh, right? It, it, praying that prayer every day just makes you think differently. It, it makes you engage in conversations. It'll make you, hey, you know what? My neighbor's outside. Rather than hopping my car and pulling away, I'll walk across the street and say hi and see where the Holy Spirit takes it, right? Not break out my Bible and do a Bible study, but just walk over and say hi. How you're doing and see, and see what happens to it. And, and I said that you know, what I've done, I, I set reminders on my phone because I'm a forgetful person. And Luke 10, 2 is where Jesus tells us to, the harvest is great, but the workers are few, so pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the harvest field. And so every day at 10.02, my alarm goes off, and I, I pray for harvesters, right? And it's hard to pray for harvesters if you're not willing to, what, to, to be a harvester. And, and then I have my alarm set for 4.35 p.m. every day, and that's when Jesus was talking after his encounter with the woman at the well, and he says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Maple Grove, this is us, mission. We are to seek the lost. And to do that, we need to fix our focus. And the next thing we need to do is we need to, we need to fight the obstacles. And there's some obstacles that are in our way and that will pretty much always be in our way. 
before we dive into those obstacles, just uh, two quick commercials. Um, uh, April the 4th is Easter, and uh, um, the message is going to be the Easter secret. We like secrets, right? There's actually a secret about Easter that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk about that. And I'm kind of unofficially saying, hey, back to church Sunday. You know, it's been like over a year. If you're, if you're watching at home, I just want to encourage you, like if you feel safe in doing it, you know, some of you haven't got your vaccines yet and you don't feel comfortable going out anywhere. I totally get that. Hey, stay online. We do not want you to be uncomfortable. But if you have gotten out of the habit and a year out of church is, it's pretty easy to get out of the habit. I want to encourage you to say, you know what? Easter Sunday will be a great day to get back into the swing of coming into this building and worshiping together. We social distance. We have um, we don't pass the we don't we don't pass communion. We have individual communion cups, and uh, just encourage you to think about that. That's commercial number one. Commercial number two is is there's going to be a uh, a, light, a new life group kicking off on Tax Day, right? They celebrate Tax Day. That's a great day in America. Uh, Thursday, April fifteenth at seven p.m. It's going to be a, a hybrid. Um, Life group. What I mean by that, most of the times of study are going to be done, right, Thursday at 7 p.m., are going to be done by Zoom, right? So if your kids got to be in bed, hey, put them in bed, and, and, and then we'll have a study from like 7 to 8, and then we'll get together like in person for social events maybe and for serving our community. Um, and so if you're interested in that, let me know. I'm actually going to be leading this group, right? And uh, if no one signs up, that'll be kind of sad for me. Uh, but it should be a great time. And uh, mark your calendars for that. You can email me or you can uh, send me a text at 434-284-1057. Okay, we got to fight some obstacles. And I think one of the obstacles is that we're distracted by lesser passions. And, and some of these passions are obviously sinful and, and destructive, but others... Though they're not wrong or destructive, they're still much lesser. And and what these lesser passions do is that they cause us to invest more of our time and our talents and our energy, free time, in them rather than seeking and saving the lost. All right? They're not bad, but they're not the best. And the best is our mission. Um, Here's a statement I put together, maybe it makes sense. Like the only cause, passion, and pursuit that is to be the center of the church or in the life of a Christian is Jesus. And I just ask you, and I can ask myself, like when people look at our lives, would they say, hey, you know what? The center of his life is Jesus. It's not this cause. It's not this pursuit. It's not this hobby. The center of his life, it's not even his family. It's Jesus, Right? It's to be Jesus at the center. When Jesus is at the center, it doesn't mean other things aren't important. But if, you need to have that solid core of Jesus in order for everything else to work out. Uh, another obstacle is I, I think that we, we have, we've redefined what it means to be on mission. And, and somehow we think that we can be on mission and that we are on mission without being committed to the mission of seeking and saving the lost, that we can be fishermen without ever going fishing. And listen, worship and Bible study and children's ministry and men's ministry and women's ministry, life groups and serving, listen, here's the deal. 
if all these activities are not driven by the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost, then we've kind of missed the point. You see, we cannot be committed to Christ and his church if we're not committed to his mission of seeking and saving the lost. We cannot be committed to Christ or his church if we're not committed to his mission of seeking and saving the lost. You see, there's joy in the presence of the angels in heaven, not because I preached a great sermon, we had a great event, we had huge attendance, we did a great service project. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven when a sinner comes to repentance because someone who was lost became found. Get it? Good. That was a, got it. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong and should not be celebrated. Those things are not wrong. They're good. They're necessary. And we should celebrate them. I'm just saying that even if we do all those things and we do them well, but we do not seek and save the lost, then we're off mission. And we're not doing what God told us to do. And it's so easy after a period of time to forget what the mission is. And I want to show you this little video about a a life-saving station and how people lost track of what the vision was in the first place. That's pretty sobering. And it's such a powerful parable. You know, I was in a, a preacher's meeting several months back and guys from, I think, five different, six different churches and one of the questions we talked about was to share about the, uh, you know, the salvation baptism stories during COVID. And, and five, six different churches represented, us being one. You know how many people spoke up and shared a story? Zero. So easy to forget what it's about, right? To gather in this room, to have life group, youth group, bake cookies and all this stuff. And that stuff is good and fine and important and it should be happening. But if people are drowning at sea, then we've lost mission. Another obstacle that we have to overcome is we become numb to a horrible and terrifying reality. John writes in John chapter 3, verse 36, he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. I, I like those eight words, right? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. I, I don't like the next 15 words. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath re- remains on him. And I really hate these words right here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 8 and 9. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. And I got to tell you, I enjoyed reading those words as much as you probably enjoyed hearing them. And if I had editorial rights, I would take them out. I would edit them, I would remove them, but I cannot do that because those words are true. Hell is real, and hell is a place of everlasting punishment where people are kept far from the presence of God, and real people are going there, even some real people that you and I know and love and care about. Francis Chan writes this in his book, Erasing Hell. 
The saddest day of my life was the day I watched my grandmother die. When the EKG monitor flatlined, I freaked out, absolutely lost it. According to what I know, the Bible, she was headed for a life of never-ending suffering. I thought I would go crazy. I'd never cried harder, and I don't want to feel that way again. Since the day, I've tried not to think about it. It's been 20 years. Even as I write that paragraph, I feel sick. I would love to erase hell from the pages of scriptures. How about you? Do you ever struggle with hell as I have? Do you have parents, siblings, cousins, or friends who, based on what you've been taught, will end up in hell? What a bone-chilling thought, he writes. Until recently, whenever the idea of hell and the idea of loved ones possibly heading there crossed my mind, I would brush it aside and divert my thinking to something more pleasant. Well, I believe the hell, believe in hell with my mind, I tried not to let the doctrine penetrate my heart. But I reached a point where I can no longer do that. I can no longer acknowledge hell with my lips while preventing my heart from feeling its weight. Too much is at stake. Too many people are at stake. Amen? Now, we don't think about it. I mean, it's pretty uncomfortable. Y- y'all looking pretty uncomfortable. I'm feeling pretty uncomfortable, right? Thinking about people that I love and care about spending a place of eternal punishment far from the presence of God, but it, us being uncomfortable doesn't change the truth of it, right? We, we can't, too many, too much is at stake, as he writes, too many people are at stake. I think another obstacle we've got to overcome is we think that most of the people in our Jerusalem already know about Jesus, right? I mean, this is America, right? Founded on Christian values. And, and, and so surely the people that we work with, go to school with, live next door with, that we sit in the stands with or stand on the sidelines with as their kids are doing their sports, surely they believe in God, but that's not the case. Recent surveys reveal that 195 million people in America do not go to church. If those people formed the nation to be the eighth largest nation in the world. Check this out. The percentage of Americans who don't claim any kind of religious worldview has gone from only 15% in the 1950s to 60% in the year 2010. It's not scientific, but I took that same growth rate, you know, solvent for X thing, and it would be, in our time, 2021, it would be 68%. We live in a very large and very ripe harvest field everywhere, right? People may seem like nice people, and they are nice people, but it doesn't mean they know about Jesus. I think another obstacle is that we feel unworthy or we overcomplicate things. Like sometimes we feel unworthy because we got a pass, we got baggage, we're messed up, we did some wrong things. I mean, have you ever felt that you're unworthy to share the gospel because of your past or present sins? Well, in John 4, we meet a lady who was married five times, was living with a guy who Jesus meets and tells her about living water, tells her about true worth, which reveals to him that he's the Messiah. And then we read this in, in John 4, 28, verse 30. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever did, could this man be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. The result, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. I mean, she could have felt unworthy, right? But she didn't let that stop her. 
Paul, who murdered Christians, could have felt unworthy of sharing the gospel, but he did not let them stop them because the gospel is worthy, and you are worthy to share regardless of the sin in your life. Amen? The gospel is true, even though you and I are sinners. I, I think also we can, we can tend to uh, fall into the trap of thinking we have to know everything before we share, right? Like, we're afraid of the hard questions. They're going to ask us about... What about all the suffering? What about dinosaurs? <laughs> what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? And we're like, and, and so we become afraid. I, I, I don't know enough, right? And that's why I love this conversion story in John chapter 9. It's the blind guy who was born blind, and Jesus heals him. Remember, he spits on the mud, puts the mud on his eyes, tells the guy to go wash, goes wash, he can see. Religious leaders get ticked off because Jesus healed the guy. They interrogate the guy. They let him go. They interrogate him again. And I love it when they bring him in, and we read this in John 9. He says, so for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. And, and, and see, again, I'm convinced that sometimes we don't share because we think we're, we don't know the answers to the hard questions. And that's why I love how this guy responded. Right? I think it's one of the greatest responses in sharing your faith ever. Right? He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. Hey, I, I, don't, I, I don't know all those, I don't know about T-Rex, and I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg, but here's what I do know. I, I do know what Jesus did in my life. I, I, I do know the changes that he brought in my life. See, I, I, I think some of the best thing, best phrase we can ever learn to say in sharing our faith is right here. I don't know. I don't know. On, on count of three, say that with me. One, two, three. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how old the earth is, right? I, I, I don't know the answer to that. But here's what I do know. I once was, but now I, right? We know. I, I think another obstacle we have to overcome is, is thinking we always have to score a touchdown, Right? Thinking every time we share our faith that we have to, we have to close the deal. Paul writes this. I love it. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. You know, you know in other words, you know, it's kind of like he, he's saying here, I think that, hey, you know what? You know, Paul got the ball to midfield and Apollos took it to the red zone, but, but God's the one that got it, got it across the goal line. You don't have to always score a touchdown, right? But don't let that be an excuse for you to stay on the sidelines. No, you don't have to score a touchdown, but you got to at least get in the game and try to run a play. You may fumble it. You may get knocked on your butt, right? But get on the field and, and play a game. But don't think, well, i got to score a touchdown, because in reality, the only one that scores a touchdown is God. Amen? And there's other obstacles we have to overcome, right? The fear of rejection, the fear of losing a friend, that we have to overcome the obstacle of procrastination. Well, it's four months to the harvest. i got plenty of time. 
being labeled a, I don't know, you know, Bible, my days it said Bible thumper, Jesus freak. I don't know what they call Christians today. Maybe there's some other term. Is there something they call Christians? Yeah. Uh, that we could say in church. <laughs> the awkwardness of starting a spiritual conversation. Right? So, but, but I just want to talk about one more that I think is a root of nearly every obstacle you will face. Is, it's this, that you have an enemy who does not want you to seek and save the lost, right? Uh, I love what Bo Chancey, he, he wrote the book Pray for One. He, wrote, he said this in the, in the book Pray for One. I think this is so, 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 so true. The enemy's number one tactic to get the church to, is to get the church to focus on anything other than the mission of Jesus. If he can get us to fight on a false front, then he wins. The battle no matter how violently or powerfully we struggle, fighting the wrong fight is actually worse than fighting not at all. The enemy's number one tactic is to get the church to focus on anything other than the mission of Jesus. If he can get us to fight on a false front, then he wins the battle no matter how violently or powerfully we struggle. Fighting the wrong fight is actually worse than not fighting at all, right? We can get caught up in any, any kind of cause, any kind of activity out there. But the fight we're to fight for is we're to fight for the gospel of God's grace. That's our fight. That's the battle we're on. We can get so sidetracked. And he doesn't mind us saying, you know what? We're, we're going to make sure that we're a church that's going to, we're going to make sure there's no hungry people in Charlottesville. What a noble, great goal. Right? But if we're not saving people, right? And Satan will be okay if we're feeding people food if we're clothing people if we're not saving people because his one goal is to kill and destroy right that's what he wants to do and he's okay with us doing good things if we don't bring people to a saving relationship with Jesus our mission we seek the lost and to fill that we need to we need to fix our focus and we need to fight the obstacles and finally we need to we need to know the stories Peter writes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You need to, need to know the stories. You need to know your story, and you need to know God's story. And let's talk about your story. Your stories. You know, notice that it's plural. Because sometimes in church we say we need to share a story or a testimony, we think there's only one, right? When I got saved. All right, that's, we got one story. No, we have lots of stories. I mean, has God ever helped you with a relational problem, with a marriage problem, with a financial problem? Has God ever enabled you to weather a storm, a crisis in your life? And then guess what? You, you have a relational story. You have a financial story. You have a God help me in a very difficult crashing waves and blowing wind storm testimony right we got all these stories right and we need to know our stories and we need to like we need to think through those stories and prepare ourselves to be able to share those stories with other people right so that if someone we're praying for wants to know hey tell me why you follow Jesus like what difference has Jesus made in your life you need to be you need to be ready to go with what some people call an elevator speech a three-minute story that you can share with them and I got a sheet of paper that's it's in the back, and we'll have it online available. This, this is, 
This is so important. This is know your story. It's got know your conversion story. And basically it's always, hey, life before Christ, how you met Christ, and how were things different afterwards. But I'm not going to go through this in detail because I could read this, but the most important thing is for you to seriously take this home, spend some time answering the questions, and then say, hey, here's my conversion story in two to three minutes. Here's my, I call this my walking with Christ story. I couldn't think of a better name for it, right? And, and maybe you face a health crisis or someone in your family face a health crisis, right? Answer these questions. And someone says, hey, what difference does Jesus really make? You say, you know what? Let me tell you what he makes, you know. When I was 16, you know, I got a call from my mom and my dad had a heart attack. And, and our family was devastated because he didn't make it. But Jesus showed up. And you write, and, and you, again, these questions will lead you through that. Okay, I have them on the back. It'll be available online. This will become such a valuable tool, and it'll be a waste of time <clears throat> for me just to read the questions here, right? I, I, I so encourage you here and at home that you can't grab it here. Home, you can email me. It's going to be online. We're going to make this available. I'm going to include it on my family email that'll go out this week. If you're not on an email list, let us know. So you can, you can be ready. So when that person asks you, and you're not like stumbling, like, hey, yeah, I'm prepared. Peter says, always be prepared to give everyone the reason for the hope that you have. Hey, you know why I have hope? Even though my, my husband or wife is in the ICU, because here's why I have hope in this situation. But you're ready to go. So we got, he's always be ready, right? Okay? I have that back there. So you need to know your stories, and you need to think through your stories about, about how you would share that. And then what you need to know, and again, the most important thing about this is what you do with it when you take it home, right? Because all I'm going to do, I'm going to hit the main, the main truth. So I'm not going to dig down super deep in this because this is stuff you know. But I put together this sheet. You need to know your story. Here's what God did for me. And you, know, you need to know God's story, right? Because if, if someone you know says, hey, wow, that's what he did for you? That's the kind of peace you can have? I remember when... When, when Judy battled cancer, a, a guy named Jim Masson came to me and he saw the peace that Judy had within cancer. He was 28 years old and he said, Steve, I want what she has. <laughs> how can she have this peace? And I had to know how to, how can I have the peace with God that she has? And I had to sit down with Jim and share, hey, here's God's story. Here's how you can be right with God. And so what I put down here, you, you can obviously, this will be available online. There's some in the back. You can massage this to make this work for you. Right? But if someone asks you, right, this week, hey, how do, I, how do I become right with God? Do you know what scriptures you would share? Do you know what you'd say to them? Are you ready to do that? I want to give you a tool to do that. I'm just going to hit, uh, I'm just going to hit the major truths because the most important thing is not what I say up here. It's you saying, you know what, that cousin, that family member, that neighbor that I care about, that I love, you know, I, I want them to know God. And if they ever ask me to, to know what Jesus has done in my life, I want to be able to answer that in a, in, in a way that leads to a great conversation. If they ever ask how I can be saved, I want to be able right then to be ready and walk them through the Bible and say, here's how you can be right with God. And, and, and so here's four things that your ones need to know. Again, I'm just, I'm just hitting the truth. And you can dig through this, right? It's also in your notes in here, but you can dig through this. Truth number one, they need to know that God loves them and has an awesome plan for their life. They need to know that. God does not hate them. God's not against them. God is for them. He loves them. And he has an incredible plan for their life. There's some scriptures I put in. You can have some of your own. They need to know that. 
Number two, they need to know that sin keeps people from experiencing God's love and God's plan. God loves them. He has this awesome plan, but because people sin, they're separated from that plan that God has. And there's nothing they can do to bridge that gap, right? They need to know that. Truth number three, they need to know that Jesus has paid the penalty for their sins. Right? That, that this gap between God and man created because of our own sins that we could never pay, that God loved us so much that he sent his son. And Jesus Christ, he bridges that gap. He bridges the gap. And again, you know, I have all this, you know, it's, it's on here. I even got some nice little drawing here that you can see, that you can grab. But again, the most important thing is what we do when we leave here. Again, I have scriptures to support that. Truth number four, we are saved by grace through faith. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of, it's a gift of God. See, grace means getting what we, we don't deserve. Uh, we don't earn our way into God's grace. It's a gift. And Jesus followers, you do not keep God's grace by human effort either. It's a gift. You know, reading your Bible is not going to make God love you more. And it's not going to make you deeper in God's grace than if you didn't, right? We're saved by grace. It is a 100% gift, not earned, not deserved by what you do or what you don't do. It's a free gift from God. Makes no sense because you're so messed up. You sin every day and God forgives you every day, right? We're saved by grace through faith. And in Scripture we see, right, we see that a saving faith. And again, I have Scriptures on here. This is for you to, to dig through. Um, we're saved by grace through faith, through a faith that believes, right, that Jesus died for us on the cross and rose from the grave. Believes in who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, saving faith repents of, of our sin and, and repents of, of living a life that is all about us. Repentance is about laying down our agenda for living. Say, God, you know what? I've been the boss of my life. It has not worked out so good. You're the boss of my life. You're the Lord of my life. Saving faith confesses that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And saving faith, it believes, it repents, it confesses, and saving faith is baptized, is immersed into the name of Jesus. And there's scriptures that you can see there. We're saved by grace through faith. That, that's what your one needs to know. And I, again, I would so encourage you to grab one of these, get it on the line. If you, unless you already, you may already have this all figured out and you know what you would share, how you would share it. You know, and when you get it, it'll be a word doc so you can change it any way you want. But the key is that we're always to be prepared, right? You got to know your story. Let people know what God's done in your life. You're the authority on your story. That's what gives it power, right? And listen, cool thing about your story. See, God wants to say something through your life and it can only say it through your life. And if he doesn't get to say it through your life, it'll never get said. So God wants people to hear. He wants people to hear your story. He wants people to hear your story. What a great opportunity we have, you know. And... and we can be so like that life-saving station, right? You know, and forget what it's all about. And, and, and here, do you, 
Raise your hand, even at home, even though I can't see your hand. Actually, I installed cameras while you were sleeping last night so I can see you right there. I, yep, I see you. Right? Not really. That'd be creepy. Um, but I'm watching you on the monitor. See, we, we hacked into it. We got some really good tech guys here. Um, but, but, you know, raise your hand if you know one or more people in your sphere of influence that's lost right now. Just raise your hand if, you know any, if anybody knows anybody. Okay. All right. I, I think probably you know, most of us know someone who's lost, right? And, and uh, what if that became our passion for 2021? Just say, God, I, I don't know who you want me to reach out to. You know, there's some people that God has put on my radar just this past week, like three popped up that I wasn't thinking about. But praying that prayer, they popped up. It's like, whoa, maybe I'm going to pray, God, give me the opportunity, Lord, because I, I want these people to be saved. I don't want them to have eternal punishment. What if that became our passion? You know, what if that's, hey, that's, you know what? If I don't do anything else, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach this person right here because that's what matters most. I mean, can, can you think of, you know, I love that picture of the guy in the mine, you know, and they're celebrating his rescue. Can you imagine hugging the person in heaven that's there because of you? And they say, thank you. I know you're uncomfortable. I know you're afraid to share. But thank you. It's because of you that I'm here. Can you imagine how awesome that would be? Can you think of anything that would be more valuable than that? I certainly can't. Um, there's a passage in Romans. I think I have it. Um, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? Implied they can't. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. How beautiful, how timely are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. Right? How can they know unless someone tells them? And so I just want to encourage you, pray that prayer every day. I want to encourage you, you know, to... To grab, you know, to grab your uh, Know Your Stories piece of paper or, or download it um, this week or get my email this week and, and, and answer these questions. And then by answering these questions, then, then you form your little summary statement. And, and then, you know, this God story. So if someone, you know, maybe you get this and you highlight these things in your Bible so you, you can walk someone through. Well, here's how you become right with God. And I'd like to help you walk through it, you know, and, and in order to to be prepared for it, you know. But I can think of nothing more important, well, no, there is nothing more important, right, than you and I helping people find salvation in Jesus Christ. That is our mission, right? We are here to seek and save the lost like Jesus. Father God, we love you. And God, I pray right now um, for those in this room and those at home, God, every single one of us knows someone like Francis Chan, his grandma, Someone, you know, fortunately the EKG hasn't flatlined on them yet, but we know someone who's far from you, God. Maybe it's someone we work with. And maybe it's someone in our own home. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, God. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the mission. We get distracted by lesser things. We forget that our one job is to seek and to save the lost and to bring as many people with us when we cross the finish line of heaven. Father God, I pray for these pieces of paper 
And I got, I know that Satan does not want anyone to pick this paper up. They, they doesn't want anyone to download this from the email or grab it from online to work through their stories, to be ready. But God, I pray that you overcome that and that all of us become ready because there's so many people that need to know the Father's love like we know the Father's love. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand? We're going to sing this song as we prepare for communion. If you're in this room or at home and you would like to talk about your walk with God, you know, come talk to me if you're in this room or online, just shoot me an inbox, text me, 434-284-1057. Let's just sing this song about running to the Father.